and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's your favorite Mexican-American Gemini from South Texas. It's Chibi. And she's the lipstick-loving Salvadorican from Brooklyn, New York. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. What up, Rocky? Hi, how you doing, friend? I mean, we hanging in there, looking good, feeling fine, all that stuff. Look at you. <laughs> you know, I, I see you got your, your your gold hoops in. Always, always. This is like my go-to, like, let's do it. Let's rock <laughs> it. <laughs> well, I know we see each other on a weekly basis right here, which is great and all, but I'm like hella even more warmed and connected because we actually got to see each other in person this past week, socially distanced, of course, safely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. because you're you're visiting right now in Texas. So I that was just I just want to tell you we loved your visit. Okay. I did too. I was so excited. Like I was telling people I was like, wow, I was invited to Chibi's place and Chibi's and Corey's place, even though like your husband was like, Yeah, I'll I'll spray you down with Lysol because this is how serious we take it. Yeah. Um, but it was so much fun. I loved it. Um, but yeah, like you said, I definitely I'm almost Oh, I only have like basically a week and a half left in Texas before I go to my other home, right, in mm. work. Um, and that's right. always, yeah, and that's always been like a huge conversation with me and like my friends of like, where is home for me? <laughs> mm. All the time. And I think home is like a huge concept for anyone, right? Um, we can create our own home. It's home is where we've been born. Um, this constant movement of people of like migrating um, whether they're forced or not forced, right, voluntarily um, to different places and trying to find home there. So I definitely wanted to talk about that. I totally get what you mean, because like I was born in Guadalajara, but I never like lived there. I grew up in Laredo, Texas on the border. And so that was kind of home. But then I lived in Austin for so long that that felt like home and then spent some time in Houston and now I'm in San Antonio. And it's this idea of like, what what is what, what does home really mean, right? And where you're from, and I think for me, it's how we how we carry this idea of home with us, right? Wherever we're at, uh, it, we we take our our family and our culture and our history with us through this world. Um, even if when I go visit my cousins in Mexico, they're like, "You have such a funny accent," uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. What, like what is it like? Re- so yeah, it's basically like you're never enough for nobody, right? Like I, um, I definitely was born in the East Coast. Um, I had took even a couple of years in Puerto Rico, which was like super weird, right? Because I was like, I'm Puerto Rican. They're like, No, you're American. I was like, Mind blown. <laughs> what are you talking about? In New Jersey, they call me like Boricua, like you know, and uh-huh. like, you are from the man- mainland. And then coming uh-huh. to Texas, where people just thought I was Mexican. And it's like, no, um, <laughs> yeah. it, is, <laughs> it is a lot, you know, but I definitely through this migration, I, I really identify with like words of being what it is to be a diaspora weekend or within these diasporas, right? This constant mm-hmm. migration yeah. um, and also trying to find a place in home. It's funny you say that about like going to Puerto Rico and be like, I'm Puerto Rican. They're like, no, 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 you're not. It happens in the reverse. Like when I first went to college in Austin, I was like, I'm an American. They're like, no, you're Mexican American. And I was like, what, what? 
Uh, but I, I love that you bring up this idea of like home and identity and all that because our, our guest tonight talks a lot about um, that idea of what home is and really embracing where he comes from and where he, the spaces that he moves through now. So can you tell us a little bit about our feature tonight? I'm really excited because this poet is from New York. So what? I know I'm not in New York, but I'm just like really excited that we have this poet. So our poet is a poet and a musician, Bonafide Rojas. He was born and raised in the Bronx, the Boogie Down Bronx. What? He is the author of four collections of poetry, Bello Bueno, A Day in the Life of a New Yorkian Poet, When the City Sleeps, Renovatio, and Notes on the Return to the Island. He founded Grand Concourse Press, named after the thoroughfare he grew up on in 2012. Rojas identifies as one of the next generation of New Yorkian poets. Rojas is the 2002 Slam This Champion and has performed on HBO's Deaf um, Poetry Jam, as well as in numerous venues in New York City and internationally. His writings, I know, right? His <laughs> writings appears in journals and anthologies that include Bum Rush the Page, a political um, black in literature um, and art. He's a guitar player and leader of the rock group Mona Passage. He lives in New York City and travels frequently to Puerto Rico, where he lectures on poetry with the hope, according to Alonso, of inspiring the next generation of New Yorkian poets. So let's give it up to an OG from the South Bronx, New Yorkian poet, Bonafide. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Hello, hello, hello. hello. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you never get com you never get com I never get comfortable with bios. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It's, 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 it's okay. Just... Yeah. I started young. That's what it is. I started young. Mm. And uh, yeah, so hi. Still, <laughs> still doesn't change the fact that you've done a lot. So yeah. I do my best. I try, I try my best. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we always like to start off like, you know, when we invite friends over or poets over, like we're going to get to know you intimately. So we always want to start off like, how's your heart doing? How's your heart doing today, this week, this month? <sighs> <laughs> uh, you, you might have opened up the wrong can, but it's okay. Um, so, so last Saturday was my mom's anniversary for uh, for her death, and today is the anniversary of her wake. Uh, so I've been I've been balancing that. Um, I think what I've been doing the last couple of years is trying to make myself as busy as possible um, because I already spent the. Uh, couple of years, you know, wallowing and soaking around. Um, mm -hmm. Last year was, I was probably just working, you know, just trying to make some, but a couple of years ago, around this time, I was in Puerto Rico and I found a, uh, a resting spot for my mother, my father's ashes. So mm -hmm. I'm good. I mean, you know, I wanted to get away this week, but you know, COVID's uh, interesting, right? COVID has, for me, COVID's allowed me not to do things and yeah. I mean, some other people that, you know, as them, they can do whatever I want. But for me, I'm just um, trying to navigate through these waters and yeah. um, be patient with myself. And, you know, I've spent a good portion of the last seven years traveling. So those things don't really bother me. But I save mm -hmm. money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Save no, money. I I've been following you for quite some time, and I know you post a lot about your mom because she's, like, so important to you. I just want to say from the pictures and everything you've, like, shared, she's – absolutely gorgeous like 
beautiful. And I could tell like with her spirit, she was probably like your biggest fan, larger than life personality. So. <laughs> <laughs> larger than life. Yeah. No, she loved, she loved the poetry and was really mm -hmm. critical about my music. I used to be like, I don't want to talk to you about the music. No one. <laughs> She's like, I don't, I don't really like rock music. I'm just like, like who raised me? Like, how did I, how did I get here? That's did bad. you, uh, Rock, were you at the Lincoln Center show? I was. Show? That was the first yeah. time I ever met you. Yeah, yeah so, so she was there. She was there. I have that video. Mm -hmm. And um, that, yeah, that, that was the last time she ever, no, second second to last time she saw me read. Because I think I I had a book party that I I, I told the party, hey, you guys got to wait. My mom's not here yet. So, <laughs> so but that was, you know, that was the last time she was out. No, so that was the last public, I think, appearance that she made. That and the book party. Um, but, you know, it's been a really weird couple of years in yeah. in that sense of being in this weird fraternity of being an orphan, right? Yeah. Um, after she passed away, New York got really weird for me. Like, I, 2018 was was a really difficult year of um, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I was freelancing so much, I didn't I could go wherever I wanted. Um, but yeah, that was like a real big year, just like sitting on the couch and just doing nothing. And writing, which I was really surprised yeah. about. I, I was surprised I wrote so much about it. Um, but, you know, those aren't the easiest poems to read. Like, hey, let's read this poem. It's going to make you really depressed. And they're like, well, why are we clapping? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I just, I love hearing uh, how big of a supporter she was for you. Um, not everyone gets that where their parents are, like, fully supportive of their arts. Uh, I'm lucky to where my parents, like, my parents will drive across the state <laughs> if I'm performing somewhere, you know? <laughs> so like, uh, it's, it's good to hear that you, that you had a lot of that. And it sounds like she was like Rocky said, your biggest fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. She was, she was a, she was, she was a, she was a trip. Very... Except for the music. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember one show. So, you know, she, she, I was, I was singing in the house and I don't have the best singing voice, especially when I was younger. She's like, Oh, that's, that's really good. You're still doing poetry, right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like I, you know, and then, and then she saw the band once and she was like, oh, that was, that was better. You've been getting better. I'm just like, get out of my face. I'm like, get out of here. Uh, she was so she, you know, she was sassy. I'll give, I'll give her that much. She was, she was sassy. Uh, just Latina like mothers. I was, yeah. Right. I was going to say Latina mothers and their backhanded compliments. Right? She, she, was, she was five feet and she'd be getting my face. I'm just like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, Let's jump into the conversation. We'd like to just let the audience get to know you a little bit before we hear some of your work. Uh, so we're going to start with a segment segment that we like to call speed dating. Uh, so we're going to hit you with some questions and feel free to answer these as in-depth or as concise as you feel like you need to answer them. Okay. Okay. Doke. So question number one, how would your favorite person describe your poetry? Uh, Reflective, detailed, meticulous, um, <laughs> a lot of list poems. <laughs> yeah, um, no shame, no shame. No, not at all, please. Um, uh, I, I enjoy telling a good story. Uh, emotional. Uh, I rarely ever read in public without paper. I don't care to memorize anymore, so it's always paper in front of me. Um, you know, Matt Puerto Rican, 
Mm. Mad rock and roll. <laughs> All right. Um, right. Passionate. Right. Passionate is a good word. It's a good word. <laughs> and um, hmm. <laughs> we can stop there. We can stop there. Okay. <laughs> But I was gonna kiss the speed dating bone. Like, You're like, like it's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't mind me. I, I keep looking at my hair, and I'm like, can my part stay there, please? No, yeah. it's okay because I feel like like my part's never in the middle, and I'm just like. <laughs> That's why okay. I carve mine into my head. <laughs> All right, go, Rocky. All right. Okay. So this is definitely like you know I want to know because I love to go to bodegas, right? Uh -huh. New York, I learned about like these bodega cats that blew my mind, but yeah. I don't trust the bodega if they don't have a bodega cat, right? <laughs> so if, when you go to your bodega, like what is your go-to item to get there? You know, like to get out of your bodega. Okay, you so it's a, it's a two-part answer. So if it's a regular bodega, it's usually uh, a Diet Pepsi and a honey bun. Almost everyone mm -hmm. I know, this is kind of, <laughs> kind of ridiculous. But now the one I go to, the one I go to to have dinner, it's usually mm -hmm. a cheeseburger and fries. If I'm feeling healthy, I'll get a salad, which is once mm -hmm. in a blue. But but the the honey bun? Oh yeah, everyone knows that. Everyone knows I I drink. So I only drink diet soda. So everyone gets on my case about that. I'm like whatever. Like you don't have vices. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but honey bun. Yeah, I've been in honey buns forever. And I, I'm I'm always really grateful because I don't think I look like someone who's been snacking on the worst things in the world. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. Okay. So on the subject of food then, what is your favorite Puerto Rican dish? <laughs> Hardball questions. Hardball questions. Um, well, growing up, the amount of Hrokum uh, and chicken was almost like, you know, you had a working mom, mm -hmm. had a single working mom. So she uh, definitely just made it often. Um but if I'm picking like a real like Puerto Rican or Caribbean dish, uh, it's probably a pastelong. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I love pastelong. It's a pastelong is like a sweet plantain lasagna. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you take you take the shells out and you replace it with uh, maduros, and mm. it's, it's exquisite. That so, I'm, yeah, I'm or, that one on my list. <laughs> or and close second, especially when I'm feeling saucy, is a mofongo de maduro. With, 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 with chicken in it, and not, not many places make that. They'll they'll just keep it regular. But mofongo de maduro. I had a, a space in uh, Puerto Rico I went to, when they're like, yeah, sure. I was like, oh, I was like, oh. <laughs> oh yeah. man, do you? Yeah. I want. I know that we're on the port side of Puerto Rican food, but I'm like, yeah. do you like cochifrita, like in the, in Brooklyn? Yeah. Uh, have I been there? Do I like them? Do you? Oh, <laughs> do you like oh. them? <laughs> I know because you know the Bronx. I mean, at one point the Bronx had a cochifritos in every other corner. Um, I do. I do. I, I think a lot of times I'm just I'm weary of too much greasy food because I know I eat a lot of greasy food. Um, mm -hmm. But at Cuchi Fritos, um, you know, sometimes the the pork that they have there is like so, you know, it's very juicy. Even though I don't eat a lot of pork, though, that's the thing. So, like, I don't eat a lot of penil, which I think everyone looks at me like I'm crazy. Like, <laughs> I go. I know. And, and, and I blame I blame hip hop for that. I blame hip hop as a teenager, not eating pork, thinking I was a Muslim. I was like, this is it. And my mom's like, you don't want, you don't want pork. I go, give me a lasagna and give me some chicken, and I'll be fine. <laughs> all right, yeah. all right. Well, thanks. All right. So our last last question is, what is your favorite literary device? Um, 
fucking people haven't asked me that question in damn years. Uh, uh, <laughs> killer, you're killing. Me. I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll say, I'll say, like, not my. It may not be a device per se, but it's definitely a form. Like, I, I, I prefer uh, when, especially when I'm fleshing out ideas, I use a list poem first. Mm -hmm. I, I, then I go through a lot of my editing processes hasn't changed that much, but my approach to, to writing has changed a lot through the last, you know, 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I try to write in different voices, but still seem authentic enough for me mm. because I feel sometimes we get um, like, you know, we get caught up in, in performance and it, it changes the way we, we would write things on that will only live on the page and won't ever be spoken out loud. Mm. Um, so I think for me, I, I approach the page to be what it is to, to, to live on page really well. And then I'll manifest it differently in, in performance. Yeah. Um, I mean, just some poems that are just, just so dense with the, with the, the language I'm using. I'm like, this doesn't sound like it should be performed just, but you know, you make it work, right? You make it work. Yeah. So I think, no. yes, I'll take that. There is, um, what I have it here? There's a book here. There's a, a book by, uh, that is called The Handbook of Poetic Forms by Ron Padgett. That was, that's always been something I go to because they have 67 things there. And, you know, I like Villanelles and I like sonnets and Sestinas, you know, I like all the really hard forms that you have to like kind of structure yourself into it. Like I like yeah. the quad, quad trains, the synchroines. I went through a whole period of writing all those things. The amount of like haikus and small base forms, which, cause you know, I can tend to write a lot. So if I can like shorten those into like six lines, I do my best with that. I try to do my best with those. Yeah. And that's totally valid. Like sometimes just the list idea is a way to just get the words on the page. And even if it doesn't end up as a list poem, that just helps yeah, of just kind of like create that foundation. So I love that. I love me a good list poem. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of poetry, then let us start. Let us dive into the poetry. Roosters geeking, fangirling about Sestinas. <laughs> uh, Sestinas are still kicking my ass. Um, but before we dive into the poetry, to the audience that's watching out there in Facebook Landia and YouTubeville, uh, use the comment section, y'all. We see the comments clearly. Uh, if you have a question for Bonafide, put it in the comment section. We'll get around to it. You just want to show some love, put it in the comment section. All right, so use the comment section, y'all. But that being said, we're going to transition. The show is yours, sir. Please grace us with some poetry. Okay, great. Wow, look at the space on the, on the TV now. Hey, everybody. Um, we're going to roll through a few poems. Uh, I'm going to start one off. Um, we're talking about lists. Right, we're gonna start one called 30 Ways of Looking at a New Yorican. One, I do not wake up to roosters, I wake up to construction sites and exhaling buses. Two, English was fed to me by my television babysitter. Three, I barely know what oceans look like, Orchard Beach and Brighton Beach do not count. Four, I know how to grow culture, but I don't know how to grow food. I buy rice in bags, beans in cans, and piraguas in Union Square. Five, my skin is pale. My cousin's skin is black. We are called white boy and negro at the same time at the same table. Six, I do not know how to hotwire a car just because I'm Puerto Rican, right? But I don't even know how to drive. 
Six, I have a fear of needles, so being junkie is out. Being a thief, sometimes. Eight, I have a library of dead heroes that I have stolen. Nine, as I remember it, I've been called Jewish more times after I turned 21 for whatever reason. I'm mad Puerto Rican. 10, I do not believe in haircuts until I cut my hair again. 11, when riding the train, everyone could be New Yorkan, but most are New Yorkers. 12, I always get lost in Queens. 13, I walked into a riot once and immediately walked out. 14, Excelsior. 15, in my house, pictures of Albizu Campos, Jimi Hendrix, Che Guevara, Asada Shakur, The Beatles, and Jesus Christ all hang next to each other. 16, people make fun of me for not knowing how to drive, then they visit New York City and completely understand why. 17, police have stopped me for looking too out of place. I was standing in front of my building of over 30 years. 18, when in London, searching for a Puerto Rican flag is trying to find a needle in a brick wall. 19, New Yorkans dance in their sleep. 20, Spanish does not make you New Yorkan. English does not make you New Yorkan. 21, Pedro, Papoletto, Miguel, Tato, Sandra, Luis, Jorge, Algarín, and Bimbo walk into a bar and perform magic, perform beautiful magic. 22, my obituary is not written yet. 23, when I returned to Puerto Rico, everyone stared at me when I spoke. I think it was my New York accent. 24, my son was born in Chicago, lived in Harlem, lives in Michigan, is Puerto Rican and Irish, and I keep his heart in the Bronx. 25, New Yorkans look like everyone. New Yorkans look like no one. 26, I'm like every Puerto Rican you know. I'm not like any Puerto Rican you know. 27, in the middle of the bandera is the heart of a New Yorkan. Ask Betances. 28, El Mojro is more famous than the Empire State Building. 29, a New Yorkan and a Puerto Rican walk into a bar and they both ask for Cuba Libre. 30, Patria, Sangre, Libertad. Thank you. Uh, the next poem I'm going to read is, is a poem that I was kind of referring to a second ago when talking to, to Chibi and, and Raquel. It's a poem I wrote in uh, Notes on a Return to the Island. It was called Home is the Flower of the Land. And um, it's written in couplets. And one of the more interesting tidbits about this particular poem is that it's now on the Mona Passage record, The New Myths, under the title called Tierra, where I took sections of this piece and then Yabe, the singer, sang the chorus. So I'm going to read the whole poem. And then you'll, eventually you'll hear the new, the new record and you'll see what I did with that. Home is a flower of the land. Tierra is the first word the island teaches us. The wind is our navigator through this land of the valiant Lord. The coasts are crystalline, cobalt blue, and we give all the hurricanes names. These pueblos of deserts and jungles open the roads to the edge of history. We are measured in size, location, harmonized in a minor key. We carry forced exoduses on our backs. Our blood is a lineage of caña y café. 
columns of smoke obscure the clarity of this gorgeous sky. 78 provinces from end to end, from Fado to Fado. We erect gigantic billboards of foreign products, molasses and gasoline. Electric poles line the island like sheet music. Our technical progress has invaded the crunchy side. We torture the muscles of these mountains. These small towns are being reconstructed, transformed by irrigation, radio waves, and smartphones. We increase the speed of development on our backs and legs. Tomorrow seems like a frightening place of radioactive beaches, plastic forests, hydraulic cities, and neon mountain sizes. Exploding superpopulation will not culturally develop the next we need to defend this island from the statues that represent an oppressive future. We cannot assure ourselves the air we breathe will always be free. We cannot assure that these homes of ours will always belong to us and not a bank full of leeches. The geographic positioning of our land has determined the course of our history, our sovereignty, our strategy. We are forced collective personality, casualties of imperialism in between to Americas. We lack volume. We lack ports. Our island can be seen in two days. Tourism is a mirror ball and chain. Our reflections bear a narrow house cramped by the plains and valleys. Our vision is a trip through this immediate extension of our landscape. If we stretch our bodies far enough, we can touch the four corners. Our history would have been different if our land was different. Our heroes, our fighters who did not fit in, who fled and died in foreign lands may have been treated differently because of the lack of space needed to create. It wouldn't have been an issue. Everyone's perspectives would have been broader. So we are geological positioning, invigorating climates, biological constitutions, imperial landscapes trapped in a perpetual cycle of self-destruction, operating on our own collective psychosis. We were once woods, pastures, swamps, and untapped potential, now a paradise in a schizophrenic conundrum, divided by invisible titles of state and independence. We are hebuttles with satellite dishes, farmers that carry computers, fast food, fast highways, corporate tools, and monopolizing landlords. Our hearts sit on the land of rediscovery. Our hands balance the conflict and cooperation. Home is the flower of the land. Caribbean and Atlantic picturesque. Our expression is coupled with our anguish of yearning for freedom. Our memories made of lumber, metal, history, poetry, folklore, and tradition. This land and country's long fight for the people and our self-defining roles. These coasts are crystalline cobalt blue and we give all the hurricanes names. The wind is our navigator through this land of the valiant Lord. Libertad is the first word we taught ourselves. Tejra is the first word the island taught us. Thank you. So I'm gonna stay with poems of uh, notes on a return to the island. Um, hmm. There's always so much I want to talk about, um, but let's uh, let's do one. Hmm. Let's see. So um, I have a seventeen-year-old son. I know, uh, amazing, right? How do I have a seventeen-year-old son? <laughs> I look so young, and his name is John Pablo. He is a, a brilliant young man. He's a cello player. 
And there was a point where I always wanted to make him the protagonist in some of these poems. So this is one of them. And it is called John Pablo Rojas is a comet crashing out the sky. Among the dead flocks of birds shaped in V formation at Grand Army Plaza, atop of the weeds in the concrete, in the text messages in the South South Bronx, beneath the streets, beneath Woodlawn Cemetery, beneath the pigeons, beneath the skyscraping towers of capitalism, he came crashing out the sky. Farther down, forgotten demigods, formerly elected officials and washed up rookie baseball players, staring into the black, beyond the street and block, beyond the bridge and river, beyond borough and island, beyond cause and effect over genocide and gang banging, corruption in city officials, consumptions and consumerism, underdeveloped communities, malnourished imaginations, corporate gentrification versus community salvation, Next to safe deposit banks of safety, depending pockets of the poor. Next to the dilapidated condos of their tiny dreams, the trust-funded education degree dripping from their mouths. Everyone is trying to leave their immortality in my skull inside the Centrally Park Cemetery in the middle, among the activists with blindfolds on, in the man-made cities in the skies, with their man-made titles of world domination. They chop our hands off, chop our head off, they buy our body parts, think everything is for sale. In the packed streets of Times Square, in the rush hour traffic, in the corrupt police precincts, in the overcrowded jails, in the racist white American court system, with the revolutionaries, the organizers, the drummers, the poets, the painters, the dancers, the rioters, the musicians, the migration, the lawyers, the strap hangers, the running lost, the mothers of dead children, the orphan children, the wind from the Gulf of Mexico reminding us of the memory of South America. And you'll see these ships with the names of dead American generals. And we're supposed to be happy when they say they come in peace and the ocean is dead still. And all that I carry is an empty briefcase for possibility with our hearts, our fears, my heart, my fears. And I stare into the stars, I count the planets, I see the moon being master and servant. I see the sea serpents and six black hawks looking like shadows. And then he crashed out the sky with nothing. No name, no breath, no voice, naked. Hoping to come home to a better world, to a better me. And when he arrived, he was so beautiful. Thank you. Okay, this is going to be the last poem that I'm bringing everybody back in. Um, we're going to, I'm just going to pick a, a little older poem from, from When the City Sleeps. Okay, this is called, I'm trying to make sure I get it. Ah, okay, this is called Dawn in New York. And uh, it was, some people know, some people don't know, but this is completely inspired by Federico Garcia Lorca. And um, he wrote a book called Poet in New York, which was completely uh, influential on why I wanted to write about New York when I was younger. It's called Dawn in New York. Dawn in New York, 1,000 buildings scream, 
Streets gather human flesh faster than the subway can consume them. Dawn in New York, dead birds drop from the sky, suffocate on the pollution let out by these ants that march bumper to bumper, wings to wings. Dawn in New York, caterpillar cocoon, transit boxes vomit on every corner, and there is nothing the bluebirds can do about it. Dawn in New York is a ball of fire that never burns our faces off. And if we never go blind staring at the beauty from atop of the crown of the empire. Thank you. <laughs> take a bow, take a bow. Applause, 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 applause. The virtual world is weird. We try to be funny. Uh, <laughs> thank you for those words. Thank you for those poems and sharing that. That's very powerful uh, as it's coming through in the comment section. Uh, people are living for it. Um, I want to start off just kind of by defining terms, you know, and get us all on the same page. So, like, for people that don't know, uh, what does the term New Yorican typically refer to? And then what does it mean to you? To be New Yorican, you know, you, know you got you guys are not asking these short winded questions. Like, no, so so New Yorican uh, was was basically a a pomento of the words in New York and Puerto Rican, but it wasn't the first one that was being created. Uh, Neo Rican was one, Nuevo Rican was another one. And these are all things that were, you know, post 1950s migration in New York, when um, you know the, the 50s was the second wave, the second or third wave of Puerto Ricans that came over from the island for you know business and work reasons, um, and then uh, New Yorkian really started taking in the art world in the 70s when, um, right, the poets, the New Yorkian poets uh, came about. But even then, they still weren't. They they knew the term. But they, I don't think they identified as New Rican poets until after the book came out, which uh, is right there, right? And um, it's a, uh, you know, I, I, I think the biggest, the biggest uh, conversation I have these days about it is that I don't consider New Rican an identity, right? And I think people, I think people before me may have, maybe in the '70s and the '80s, I think they thought it was this replacement of identity, and it wasn't. It was. For me, I, I tell people all the time, it's a school of a school of art, right? When you look at what what art schools, right? The Dadaists, the Futurist, um, the the Surrealists, what they had, they all had language, they had art, and some even have music. And then when you look at New Yorkian, we we do have all those things, right? Salsa is a pure New Yorkian art form, right? Started in the Bronx by a bunch of Puerto Ricans who lived in the Bronx, right? We have the literature, and you know, the literature for for New Yorkian doesn't just start with the poets. I mean, you can t trace it back to Perry Thomas, who wrote this like landmark novel of Donnie's Mean Streets, and it to be considered very much a New Eureka novel. And then we think about um, art world. I mean, there's so many poets and, and painters that came out of uh, New York in the 70s and 80s. For one is a Tayel Boricua, who has a, uh, they have an exhibit in the Museo de Barrio right now. So these things are all like foundational blocks for what a school of art would be. But I think there's, there's there's always been a point that they're they're not necessarily intertangled, right? 
Mm-hmm. Right, the surrealists all knew each other, like, and I'm assuming that everyone knew each other. They just didn't really hang out. So when I talk to people now about, well, I think New York is a school of a school of art. I think I just have to always always remind people about how that got to a point because the second generation of of New York poets, which I would I would say Willie Perdomo, Tony Medina, La Bruja. Um, I was I was pretty much I was the youngest one in that group. But like we were very different than the ones before that because they had to deal with certain identity issues. Granted, when we go, when we go back to Puerto Rico, I was definitely called a gringo, mm-hmm. right? And when yeah. we're talking when we're talking about this earlier, I lived in Puerto Rico for about five six years, and for a long time it just didn't register, right? Because I did all my schooling in New York, and you know to think about the certain things that I've um, experienced as it's like young Puerto Rican kids who just wanted friends and they were like, ah, tu un gringo, tu eres allá, right? When I wrote notes on the return to the island, I just, I didn't think I was going to write that book. Maybe not this soon. Like I, I really thought I was going to write this book about rock and roll, you know, have my little guitars and everything and look what I do. And for me to write this book about the New Yorkian diaspora, um, because it was these new conversations of being in my late 30s and talking to all these like young Puerto Ricans who don't have that same volatile nature that you know we experienced that I experienced as a kid. Like no, no one ever called me. Like once in a while, someone might say something like, you know, that and I'm just like, well, what does that really mean, right? So mm-hmm. the the book is a concept of aquí and allá, right? That, that's the whole point of the book. But I just don't think there is an aquí and allá. Growing up, there, there might have been because the concept of information was a lot slower than it is now, right? Mm-hmm. And now, since we have this internet and we're transferring ideas at such a rapid pace that, one, I don't think New Yorkian poets necessarily need to be from New York anymore. Again, it's a school, right? If the Beats had a school in New York and the Beats had a school in San Francisco, but it's, they were still the Beats, they were just a New York school and a San Francisco school. I, I told Puerto Rican, young Puerto Rican people and writers that I met in, in Puerto Rico that know you can completely be a New Rican. It's just a, a philosophical nature of, you know, how to use your vernacular, right? Do you, are you using, you know, hip hop vernacular or like vernacular from that current generation or like salsa and like what people were using in the streets, right? A lot of it also is completely influenced by Black American, uh, Black American vernacular and Black English, right? So all those things and and that's the uh, I think that's also the biggest situation maybe between Puerto Ricans who grew up in New York versus most other cities is how the Puerto Ricans in New York are completely immersed in the, in the black experience because we don't have the the, the overtly segregated cities the way other cities have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, so for me, New Rican, I think is, is, is a fantastic title for someone who is young and trying to like figure out where they are. And there's so much literature and things that you can really ha- put yourself in, in, in this nice road of trying to deconstruct identity in, in, in a new way because the next generation is so different than the, one of, than the one I grew up with, you know what I mean? So that's like the biggest thing, especially because again, um, information and just traveling and transporting ourselves from here and there, mm-hmm. those things are non-existent. You know, when I was young, I, like a, as a teenager, I swore going anywhere was like this massive, oh, I, I can't go anywhere, I'm broke. Now it's like, okay, let me just go on a plane and go somewhere. And I think, <laughs> and I think that 
that concept is also already embedded in people. If you want to go somewhere, you go somewhere. Yeah. 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 I've actually, that's so interesting the way that you kind of define what a New Yorkian is, because that is definitely not what I've been taught in like academia or, you know, in these other spaces. So I really love that. <laughs> so I know like, you know, um, definitely that the whole thing that it's a, a school of thought, right? And anyone can yeah. be in the way that they write. You so, know? So, so piggyback on what you just said in terms of how academia teaches it. Yeah. The professors I know in Puerto Rico teach a whole class on New Yorkian literature. But if mm -hmm. you but if you come to any other establishment in the United States, they'll give us three weeks, <laughs> right? They'll give, like it'll be maybe a couple of days in in October. Where we could talk about Latino poets and Latinx poets. But I know for a fact I visited classes and they have this massive book on like New York and literature, and I'm just like, what? I was like, what is this? And they're like, oh, because again, because they see it as, oh wow, so these Puerto Ricans created this. Yeah. Right. And 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 I think they understand what what that is. Right? The same way, the same way people look at salsa, like, oh, these Puerto Ricans created this. Yeah. And because we're on this side of the fence per se, you know, the people who who do curriculums, since they're mm -hmm. not since they're not Puerto Rican, they go, yeah. okay, we can put them in there. Yeah. But, and I love I love how you liken it to like the beats or something like that to where it's like it's a school of thought. It's people that just got together and created together. And I, I, it's a beautiful interpretation of the term that I'd never thought of. So like I'm, I mean, if if, 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 if if I look at the the New Regan poets that I really like really admire, really like. Right. Um, some of them are, are really strange and left field like Pedro Pietri. <laughs> Right. Um, some are some are ridiculously political, like Tony Medina, like, mm -hmm. oh, like, 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 I don't know if he ever writes anything that's not political. Right. Because he thinks the political is, is a, it could be a personal piece. Then you have mm -hmm. these storytelling, this the the, the way Willie Perdermo writes and, and puts these things together. is just like the coolest dude out here. So like all these little things, these poems that already exist, Puerto Rican obituary, New yes. Rican blues. These poems are timeless, right? And that's what that's what schools need, right? They want they want their howl, right? They want uh they want the, the the wasteland. They want you know they want all these things that well this is what it is, and we have those. I just don't think it's um it's always identified as that. Uh, Ura Yuang Noel wrote a yes. book. He wrote a book called Invisible Nation, right? Mm -hmm. And when I told when I told him my concept. On it, he goes, oh, well, you should write it. I was like, mm, don't, don't do that. Like, I don't do research like that. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting saying, thinking of, he was this Puerto Rican, uh, this, this brilliant Puerto Rican scholar and writer writing a book on New Yorkian when it should have been a New Yorkian who did it. But, um, you know, I'm just grateful the book even exists. So these are conversations I have all the time, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's always a super, super complex, especially when you knew the, even being Puerto Rican, right? It's just a huge complexity uh when you're even thinking about like the diaspora so we're it's what, what are you doing what are you doing look the complexities of Puerto Rican stem from the fact that we do not suffer the same political nature everyone else does yes in the Caribbean the four islands of the greater Antilles is a communist country an independent mm -hmm. nation that is kind of crappy the the first independent nation in, in the hemisphere and then us right this weird non-tangible commonwealth so we have this relationship with the united states that's completely colonized and colonized and then we're talking about 
from the day we were invaded in 1898 by 20 years later, there are people fighting in World War, in World War One, right? So when you think about that concept of how we have to deconstruct the whole frame of thought of, well, in, in, the, in the grand structure of South America and Central America, Puerto Ricans really have to like, we're loud, right? We're proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, if we're talking about, you know, like, hey, so, you know, we want to, and they look at you like, come on, man. You know, so those kind of spaces really, um, you know, I always I see myself in those spaces and it's like, like we are the most complicated in terms of politics. Mm-hmm. Hands hands down, and I think it really it really allows a, um, a weird conversation in in that sense, right? Let's talk about the conversation. You know, your last book, uh, Notes on the Return to the Island, um, it is a lot about that idea of the experience of of being New Yorkian. That one right there, uh, the experience of being New Yorkian, but being New Yorkian in in a Puerto Rican diaspora. You know, tell us a little bit about the journey of creating that book. So, the the first poem I think I wrote in the collection was um, the last day. There was a professor who taught at. I taught at CUNY and, and Columbia. His name was Juan Flores. He was a yeah. brilliant, he was a brilliant scholar, <laughs> right? He's a brilliant scholar. I loved, I loved Wong. Wong was a funny dude. And um, I had saw him. There was a there's a Puerto Rican saxophone player named Miguel Zinon, who is a, is a, is a good friend of mine. And he wrote a he wrote a record called Identities Are Interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So he has all these Puerto Ricans on the record. And me and Wong. And um, uh, the lady from Sesame Street, uh, the, the Puerto Rican lady from Sesame Street. You, you know who she is. Trust me, you know who she is. <laughs> so <clears throat> Miguel plays it at Carnegie Hall. So me and Wang are there, and we're like, well, look at us. I go, look at us. I put a suit on for this. I was like, you know, Puerto Ricans in Carnegie Hall. And that was the last time I saw him. And then mm-hmm. someone contacted me and told me he had an aneurysm that December. And I was like, whoa. Right? Out the blue. Didn't see it coming. And that was the end of 2014. Mm-hmm. So 2015 comes around and one of his colleagues from the University of Puerto Rico, uh, Professor Jose Irezari, sends me an email. And he goes, hey, you were friends with Wong. I was like, yeah, you know, hey, we're doing a symposium. Can you come down and, uh, you know, do a tribute for him? I was like, sure. So now the question, the, 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 the reason why that email is so interesting and you know, shifting is I never read poetry in Puerto Rico mm. before that. I would just go vacation, hang out, but I was always trying to like, there was a spot in Osan Wong that I would go to, but it was like, hey, we're bringing you down to read poetry to like these students. And I was just like, okay. So it was myself and a friend of mine named Shaggy Flores. And, you know, like Shaggy, I don't even think was, he hasn't visited Puerto Rico in like 20 years. So he was just like, me, I was like, I, I've been here, I've done, I've done this, I've done this. Um, but to be uh, identified and looked at as this uh, New Rican poet in front of these these Puerto Rican people, that I started talking to all these people, and I'm looking at them, I was like, wow, I didn't really expect to be having conversations about rock music or anime with, you know, mid twenties and mid thirty year olds. Um, so that was that was the the first trip. That was I think April 
of 2015. And then I went to Puerto Rico th every three and a half months for the next four years. Mm. So by the time 2017 came around, um, I had I already had the manuscript done. I was like just doing some edits and I had I was doing I believe one of the the, the New Yorkian class at the university, and the, the the school gets taken over by the students and they yeah. close everything down. So I was mm -hmm. in I was in Colegio in Mayaguez, um, which is probably a Thursday. Mm -hmm. Next day I go to Friday and, and they take that school over too. And I'm like, hey, I'm supportive. I was like, but <laughs> I, I I have no work to do here now. So and so that's when I started writing uh, the footnotes in the back mm -hmm. of the book. And the footnotes, I think the footnotes came about with a conversation with some of the the, the people I knew in the PhD program and, and Rio Piedra. And I was like, how does this sound? Because, you know, poetry books don't really have footnotes. Um, so they're all out there. They think it sounds good. And it's, it's not, you know, this it's not an MLA. It's not this academic thing. It was really something that I wanted to do um, because I would have conversations with people. I mean, brilliant like brilliant Afrofuturists, brilliant communists, like about Puerto Ricans, and they would think Puerto Ricans got here in the seventies, and, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe eighteen seventy. I don't, you know, <laughs> like Puerto Rico, you know, Puerto Ricans have been coming to to the United States since the eight, late eighteen hundreds, depending mm -hmm. on what kind of education they had or scholarship. But after the Jones Act, you know, they were they were coming out here by the thousands. So that was another reason why I did that. I wrote the, the footnotes was to give people further understanding of how long Puerto Ricans have been here. And I get it, right? Puerto Ricans were one of Puerto Ricans and Mexicans the, in our perspective coasts were the first Spanish speaking like group there. So mm -hmm. in, in the, in the, in the way migration is, if you're first, you're laying all the groundwork down, which is why Puerto Ricans were popular all up to like 1980. When then like everybody showed up in New York and it was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> and, and you know, that's a whole other conversation about how I feel sometimes um, maybe the Puerto Ricans didn't capitalize enough in maybe a pop culture sense. They definitely did in New York, but um, and Chicago and Philly and Boston, like in these like cities where there's a huge Puerto Rican population. Um, so 2017 I finished the book and yeah you know there's a there's a term and I'm not even sure if I even wrote it in the book but something that's always been in my head is I've never felt Puerto Rican enough for other Puerto Ricans mm. I okay. I you know I was just I'm going to these like you know functions and they're playing bomba and I'm like that's cool I'm well versed in most of these things and I'm just like I wonder if they're gonna play Led Zeppelin today you know like it's the, the, the <laughs> The rock and roll in me really put me on this like outskirt in New York and maybe not in Chicago. I definitely met a lot of like rock kids in Chicago and, and, and in San Francisco, but in Puerto Rico, they're like, they understood because I think they started seeing rock music, metal, anime as this outside of art to, mm -hmm. to counterattack what was the norm in Puerto Rico, be it mm -hmm. salsa, be it reggaeton, and things like that. And they were just like, no, we don't really like that. And it was really interesting to see, like these narratives always kind of come back around 360, mm. depending on what generation. But yeah, I didn't think I was gonna write this book. I definitely thought, I, I'm working on two books now. One is for my mom and mm. maybe my father, depends how I feel about him. But, and, uh, and this book about pop culture. And I thought the pop culture book would have been finished first. But when this book was done, I was like, 
all right, here we go. You know, it was, um, I'm grateful for that book. That book really changed how I looked at everything. Like, you know, even before Hurricane Maria, I was, I was really thinking about moving to Puerto Rico for a minute. Um, but then Hurricane Maria and then my mom's passing changed that whole trajectory. But it's still something that's on, on like the, like my calendar of things. Like, do I really want to move? It's just, it's, um, you know, it, it's a life changing. Like, you know, all these things have to come with me. And moving books are really hard. <laughs> I have a lot of books. This is just a fraction. I was like, what? <laughs> they're so heavy. No, I know. Every time I would move there, like my friends and you know, people are like, "Really, books?" I'm like, "Yeah, they're coming with yeah. me." Yep, all the time. I don't. I don't care how slow it gets there, as long as it gets there. Yeah, I just love that you're just giving us this like history lesson because I'm I'm a huge <laughs> and I'm like yes, because especially with like Juan Flores for me. Um, that is where I really learned about like what a Puerto Rican and a Puerto Rican man strikes back, right? Yes. Or even <laughs> yeah. This was um this was the book that really put Wong on the map. It was called Divided Divided Borders, uh, essays on Puerto Rican history. I mean, so and he was and and he was the first person that ever got me published. I got oh. published in the uh, in the Centro. Journal, which is this uh, uh, academic journal for the Center for Puerto Rican Studies, mm -hmm. and they did they did a issue in 2000 on like the next generation of New Rican poets, and it's like me, Mariposa, La Bruja, Anthony Morales. There's a lot. There's a lot of folks who are like I'm really close with, who I've known forever, and yeah, and you know the some of the people who like fall in the middle, like you know you either because. Someone was like, "Oh, you're third generation." I was like, "Nah, man, I was I was here in 90, <laughs> 90 something, ha ha ha, you know." And yeah. um, but you know, I started really young, and I, I think the people I had as mentors were really important for that of making me feel comfortable and like, "Yeah, no, that's you got awesome. it, you got it, kid." I was like, "Ha ha." <laughs> <laughs> this is it's just I'm just geeking out because I love this topic, but. Um, I think another thing is like, you know, you talk about like you go back to Puerto Rico quite a bit. And I know that even for CUNY, because you mentioned CUNY, which is the City University of New York, which has like different 20, like almost 26 schools within the five boroughs. Um, that I know that you've gone to Puerto Rico to mm -hmm. after like after Hurricane Maria to help or assist and do workshops. Like yeah, yeah. how that and like what did it feel like to to bring your work to Puerto Rico during that time, you know? So the, I would, let me see, that was 17. Mm -hmm. Until last year, 2020, like I, I didn't go to Puerto Rico last year. And that was the first time since 2014. So that was about six years. Um, so with CUNY, I, I work with CUNY Service Corps. Yes. Um, Melissa Fernandez, who is, you know, my man, Hunter Grand, uh, mm -hmm. her, her sister, her sister is Mariposa, the poet. They, you know, Melissa was one of the spirit the people who spearheaded the CUNY Service Corps, and I was one of the trainers. And it's it is interesting. Uh, first of all, the first trip they sent me to Orokovis, which I was just like, where? I was like, I don't know where that is. And they're like, oh, it's here, but then it's all the way up. And you're like, oh, you know. But it, it allowed me to to like spend like a good amount of time with people who don't who don't go to Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Right. The last trip I took, I was I was in I was in San Juan the whole time, and it was it's you know. Again, for me, being able to spend as much time in Puerto Rico on a yearly basis is always a uh, something that I desire, regardless of if I have a, like a full time job or not. Um, mm -hmm. But it was no, it's 
the lectures, the lectures are the biggest ones, right? Like giving lectures and giving readings. Let me see. I was uh, I was a keynote for this pop culture conference at one of the at the university, and I was like, "You guys are sure?" They're like, "Yeah." I was like, All right. <laughs> so I'm just gonna I'm gonna talk to you guys about Dragon Ball and Naruto the whole time, and they were like, "Yes." I was like, "How does that affect your work?" I was like, "I mean, it doesn't until I work on the, these poems." But you know, I wrote a bunch of poems. I wrote like a bunch of poems about like pop culture stuff. Um, and then I did this. Um, me and Mariposa were we did a lecture at the other university because the, the two big universities in Puerto Rico is the one on the west side and one's in on uh, in San Juan. And so the one in San Juan, we were there, and then Oscar Lopez Rivera showed up. And um, I was in Puerto Rico when Oscar got released, and that was a really big deal. And you know, it was just it just he, I I. I never believed that if you don't go to Puerto Rico, you're any less of a Puerto Rican. I never believed in that because things just happen, right? But I do think that the more you go to Puerto Rico, the more you see how how you might not want to stay in the United States the whole time. Mm-hmm. I think the I think the biggest thing of staying in the, in the United States, even though going to Puerto Rico economically is not going to be very different, is mm-hmm. is just how it's it's just it's an island, right? It's an island of, of people who are all Puerto Rican, basically, right? And it really just changes the, the the way you look at things, you know? And I think that was the thing with me is if I, we had a show, like the band had, a, had we did a couple of shows out there and I wanted to do this, this uh, hole in the wall, D, you know, DIY punk spot. I was like, yeah, like I wanna, I wanna do it there. Because I, I, the, the first time I went there was like this queer rock show the first one they had there and I was like, what? And I was just in my head, I was like, uh-uh, this shit doesn't exist in New York anymore. All those spaces mm-hmm. have been gone, right? They've been wiped out since the late nineties. And I think that's the biggest thing is like that they have all these pockets that you can really do things in. Mm-hmm. And um and you know that, that's yeah the, the trips to Puerto Rico were life changing. They they've been they've been so instrumental on how I want to approach the next, you know, eight years of my life. Like, you know, do I want to stay in New York? I love New York. You know, I've had people say this is before a long time ago. Someone said, "I don't look at you as Puerto Rican. I look at you as a New Yorker." And mm-hmm. I, don't, I didn't, I didn't get offended because I know how much Puerto Ricans have influenced New York culture. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they saw it like that, but I saw it like that. But now, you know, you know, I'm like, hey, don't say that. Don't, don't, get, don't get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit because you mentioned the band and going down and and playing shows so outside of you know being an amazing writer and poet and performer you are also a musician um you have this band the mona passage that just dropped a new album the new myths and i was listening to it and it does give me very 70s 80s punk rock vibes to it um, tell us a little bit about the band itself and then this new album that you guys just put out. So <laughs> I'm like, wow, these, these are not two, two second answers. The, uh, <laughs> oh, no, we want to uh, know. So, so the look, I, I should have been a musician before poet, hands mm-hmm. down. Like I, I was already, I was 12 when I started getting into rock music. And, um, you know, I'm not going to date myself because everyone, everyone already knows I'm old as fuck. But like, you know, I like I, I grew up with, I grew up in Nirvana. I grew up in Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. And I loved like the two bands that really started everything was the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix. Like once I got there, I was like, everything just changed in terms of how I looked at things. 
Mm. And, but because I grew up in like this, you know, inner city neighborhood that my mom wasn't going to buy me an instrument. You crazy? Like that's just who, what are you going to do with that? Make noise. And it's like, so it took me, it took me a, a, like, it took me years to like really um, say, oh, you know what? Like just, can I get a guitar? And they're like, all right. So I got a guitar eventually. Didn't know what to do with it. Um, and then, um, you know, you fast forward a few years. I, I started writing songs probably like in my early 20s, which for me, I always feel was like so late. But, you know, I had this career as a writer that I was okay with. Um, but I tell people all the time, I should have been a musician. I, I should have been a drummer. So I want to be, I should have been a drummer. Like I know, I feel like I know what I'm doing, but um, the band started when I moved back from Chicago and I had this newborn. I had this brand new kid, right? Like small and like, you know, fragile and shit. <laughs> and I couldn't, and I, I just couldn't do like the weekly poetry readings anymore. You know, I had I had did them for like ten years straight, and I was like, I can't do that. After I have to get a job, I got to take care of my kid. But I wanted to have all these songs, um, so I looked in the dictionary and I saw the Mona Passage. And the Mona Passage, if people don't know, is the Strait of Water that separates Puerto Rico and Santo Domingo. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a little island there called Mona Island, which you can't really visit because they have like wildlife. And I was like, oh. I go, oh, shit, this, yeah, this is it. And so, so, you know, we've been playing, we've been playing shit. We've been playing since like 05. But with, with any venture of group activities, if I get a new musician, if my drummer leaves, if I get a new bass player, if I get a new singer, all these things. I never want to be the singer in the band, but sometimes you just have to do what you need to do. So this variation of the band uh, is pretty much myself and my singer, Yabe L, who is you know this young Puerto Rican uh, brother who I've known for years. And it kind of, again, it happened organically. I had all these songs and I asked him to come by one day and I played him, I think World on Fire. I World on Fire was the first one. And he's like, oh, because I don't, I don't think he expected these songs to be funky, right? Or, or soulful. Like if you hear When a City Sleeps part one, which is completely influenced by the book, you know, the songs are fast and they're a little aggressive because that's how I like my music, right? Depending on who I want to emulate or who I'm paying homage to. But with the new myths, we we really, I, I really changed the way I started writing songs so that they can compliment him. Um, so, I mean, I'm really excited with the record. And, you know, Tierra, which was home, is the flower of the land. Like, again, that was him, right? Like, I had it, and he looked at it. He goes, "Oh, this is this is really cool." And then he sings the chorus on top of it. And I was like, "That's that's pretty good." <laughs> He's like, <laughs> he goes, "Let's put it on the record." I go, "It's not really a rock record." Because my thing is, I I didn't want when you, so you know you, you do poetry for so long, and then you have this project, mm-hmm. and people really thought I was going to have like this poetry rock band. I was like, "No, like we're aggressive." shoegazing you know like all the all the labels you can talk about it and so um <laughs> yeah so i wanted i wanted the band to have their own identity like <laughs> um like if, if someone ever said oh bonafide rojas in the mona passage i'm like nope that's not how this works mm-hmm. right because if i wanted it to be a solo project it would have been a solo project a long time ago so i like having the band i like what the band represents um so the new myths is really i'm really excited for people to check it out 
And, you know, I get it. Not everybody likes rock music. That's completely fine. But I do think there's music for everybody on that record. Mm. Right? Yeah, but so the, so the, the, the biggest issue here is I'm a Puerto Rican dude from New York. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Bay's a Puerto Rican dude from New York. Rock music is not really high. I mean, we barely even have rock and roll stations the way we used to. If I go to L.A., if I go to Texas, if I go to New Mexico, if I go to Chicago, huge rock scenes. And I'm just like, yeah. So, you know, but shout out, <laughs> shout, you know, shout out to Yabe L. And shout out to, to Pete, our white boy wonder, right? Pete Starsick, who, who's an amazing drummer. And, you know, we, we wrote and recorded this record in the pandemic. And I think I tell people that that alone is, is something that I'm proud of because the amount of obstacles I've had to deal with as a musician, um, yeah. you know, that's why I give I give a lot of credit to Yabe because he was a, a really strong, uh, like pillar of like, now we can do this, let's do this. And then yeah. you know, if he if he ever was like, eh, I was like, no, no, we got this. The record's coming out this year, no worries. So yeah, check it out. You know, it's on Bandcamp, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Music, it's on all your favorite streaming services. Mm-hmm. And let me know. How you, I always tell people, let me know what they think about. Yeah, yeah we're, always, just, I'm always we're just talking about it, and you can definitely hear all the different influences uh, that you have had in the music. And you say you're a Puerto Rican guy from New York. I don't know, maybe tap into the Mexican American uh, demographic because I don't know what it is about rock music and Mexican Americans, but we are like this. I know. <laughs> I, 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 I blame I, I Van Halen and Guns N' Roses, honestly. <laughs> they were so big. They were from LA. They were easy, easy to mm-hmm. like them. Like, yeah, I like that. And then and, Metallica got the bass player. Yeah, yeah, to the heel, to the heel is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here, here's a little tidbit, completely random. Um, one of my favorite musicians is Buddy Holly, because <laughs> but because Buddy Holly was married to a Puerto Rican woman, <laughs> and and at the time of his death, she mm-hmm. was pregnant. But had a miscarriage when they announced everything on on the radio, which they don't do that anymore, right? They they have to contact the person. So I always tell people, I go, we could have had a half Puerto Rican yeah. rockabilly punk in '77 who was Billy Holly's kid. And to this day, I'm just like the little things that yo, oh, you crazy? Lubbock, Texas, bro. I, I heard she, I heard she still runs the the foundation, right? So little little things like that, right? That's what New York, that's, that's what New York gives you, right? New York gives you that. I'll store that for the next trivia night. <laughs> yeah, no, also also Bianca Jagger, she's Puerto Rican. Mike Jagger's one of his first wives. Don't sleep, we are here. <laughs> we are here, we are here. We're like our, our people are fine. I'm just not I'm gonna say that. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I mean like yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like that 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 new uh, meme of J Lo. What are you talking about? You don't know yeah. shit. I know shit. And I was like, I know way too. I, mean, I know way too many women like that. That's my uh-huh. sister. My sister like that. She's like, "What? Well, you're stupid. I know more than you do." I go, okay, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, check the band out. Like the band is um, it's always like you know. I hate to say it plays second fiddle, right? But for me, it doesn't. For me, the the form of expression that I get through playing music is very different in poetry. Mm. Very different. Yeah. And the fact that y'all recorded this during COVID, I can't even imagine just like just yes. Wi-Fi difficulties and trying to okay. be. Okay. No, no, we were in the studio, but oh. we had masks on the whole time. We were having oh, masks wow. on the whole time in the studio. The studio was really big, so we would just play everything out. As a good day. Have a good day. Yeah. 
Well, props to you on the new album. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking forward to the new books you, that you were talking about that you got in the works. Thank you for taking this time uh, to spend this hour with us, having some great conversation, just schooling us on all things Puerto Rico. Uh, I know I learned a lot. I had my little No Pare Sigue Sigue shirt on you know, uh, to embrace, um, but this has been fantastic and we would just love it if you could just close us out with one more poem. Fantastic, I will, thank you. So like the, 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 the interesting part about this particular poem is the poem is about what would you do if you knew tomorrow you were going to pass away, that you knew you were going to die? Um, and the weird part about it is I mentioned my mom in here. And, you know, I just I just hope that she knew that she, you know, my mom lived a good life. So I was always thinking about that. So this is called The Last Day. Uh, it was written for Juan Flores, but it's written for all of us, right? We want to make sure that we live a life that is uh, worth living and worth writing about. So it's called on the last day. The last day will be a glorious one filled with things that I love, like laugh with my son, read my favorite poems, listen to music the whole day, dance with my mother who hates dancing, tell my sister I love her and that I'm proud of her, call everyone I've cared for. I thank them for the years of friendship. I tell people on the street that they're beautiful. And I tell them that compliment is free. And I ride a train, I ride a bike, I ride a boat, I go to the tallest building, I scream something beautiful like I love you and maybe maybe someone will respond. I'll fight for my independence, paint murals of my heroes, I'll cross my heart, Betances, Neruda, Albizu, Che, King, Carlo, Dali, Miro, Miles, Malcolm, Lorca, De Burgos, Nin, Lenin, Hendrix, Bolivar, Mati, Ostos, Tuzant, Zapata, Zappa, Baraka, Ginsburg, Jaco, Coltrane, Cobain, Basquiat, and Garcia Marquez, and I thank them for their art. And I learned how to live on my feet and fly in my dreams and only kneel when I feel thankful. And I talk to the universe when I feel like no one is listening, and I apologize to those I should apologize to, and the rest I learned they're still not worthy. I speak to my father who's been deceased for years. It's not the first time I've done it, but I tell him about my trips to Puerto Rico, and how I think he would have been proud. Tell him how good the Yankees are doing. So then I go to all the corners of my life. There are these catalysts. And I remember them and reenact them. And I see the young versions of myself. Wild, stupid, rambunctious, ego-driven, hyper-sugared, up all night. Graffiti sprayed and Broadway made. And I honor the past. I tell those moments, thank you for existing. For being a building block for right now. And I think about all the cities and countries I visited. Puerto Rico, Havana, London, Paris, Amsterdam, Barcelona, Brussels, Los Angeles, Toronto, D.C., Versailles, Chicago, San Diego, Montreal, Oakland, Albuquerque, St. Thomas, St. John's, Tortola, Virgin Gorda, Rotterdam, Manchester, Boston, Berlin, Miami, and San Francisco. And I visit all the houses my son has lived in. And I thank them for keeping him safe. Then I take a walk around the city that I love and hate. And I eat pizza from Patsy's in Spanish Harlem. I drink sangrias from Archer and Goat. And then I go home to the only place I've ever considered home on the Grand Concourse. With a memory in every splice of hardwood floors. And I bring down the paintings. I pack up the books. I clean the living room up. And I open up this old black chest that has almost all the journals I've ever written in. 
and I take them out and I see how erratic my handwriting was. And someone said once that it looks like a sociopath's handwriting, but I've never believed in a diagnosis given by a doctor who was paid by Medicaid. Then I read the first poem I wrote. It was called Life. And I read it to myself and I see how ironic it was that this 17 year old was trying to tackle something so massive as life, but I don't blame him. He had nothing then. He probably thought he would never achieve anything, go anywhere, be anyone, love anything, love anyone or be loved. And I see the progression through the years. And I go to my bedroom window, the one that my son and I both look out of. And we look at the big sky over the abandoned church across the street. And I watch the sunset. And if today is my last day, I'll say, damn, I was a lucky bastard, wasn't I? Thank you. Applause, 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 applause. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. That was Bonafide Rojas. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think I have no other words, but thank you for, for this, all of what you have given us in the past hour. So, so glad to have you on here, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You know, thank you for your words and your work. And it really touched my heart today. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for coming out, too. Everyone on the side panic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All the people in Facebook, Landia, and YouTubeville. Bonafide Rojas, everybody. Make sure you go check out his new album, The Mona Passage. The new myth is out now. And, you know, keep in touch everywhere on uh, the social medias at Bonafide Rojas so that you can find out when the new book drops. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Wow. <sighs> That's all I got. Oh my goodness. I feel hello Puerto Rican right now. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel hella Mexican American, but uh I'm I'm treasuring that Puerto Rican feel. Uh, because yeah. it was, uh, I really feel just like completely schooled right now. Like yes. we had a history lesson. Um, <laughs> we learned about journey. We talked about family. Like mm -hmm. I'm just, hmm. I know the huge like academic in me is just like geeking. And I was like, yes, these are like who have written about, who have like researched so much. And the fact that, and I think that's so beautiful about New Yorkans or Puerto Ricans in New York that they literally have these random stories of like, yeah, I just bumped into this or I'm friends with this person and this is how we're like our, our time was. And I'm just like, New York is sometimes just a special place. And then Puerto Ricans themselves too are just like larger than life. So yeah, was for sure. I, I think you definitely have a leg up living in New York where you're like, I just, you know, I bumped into Allen Ginsberg on the street the other day and, you know, we collaborated on a project. It was no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, like, I'm still trying to find like a really nice celebrity like sighting. I haven't done that yet, but I do appreciate like, you know, talking to like, New Yorkans or poets or, or creatives and they're like, let me tell you my story of like my journey in New York. And yeah. it's always so interesting, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a reflection of what 
it means to be New York in a diaspora, this like constant like shift of home, right? It was, it definitely hit for me in so many ways. It probably hit for you as well. Yeah, no, and I love how he defined it for the New York being a school of thought, not necessarily a people or an identity or a place, but this this school of thought that I was just like, that's it. That's mm-hmm. it. So yeah, that was that. Let's thank some people and get out of here, Rocky, because that was wow. mm. Well, let me thank, let's thank the audience first. Thank you audience for tuning in and sticking around. I love your comments. Saw them coming in all night long. Uh, Thank you for sticking around for this conversation. Also need to thank our production crew, our production assistant, Dominique, who's working all the things behind the scenes, as well as Chris Condé, who has composed our theme music. Thank you for that. Yeah, and then you can just definitely follow us on IG and Twitter. What is right here? You see this like beautiful orange line. Um, it tells you where to find us. So we are on IG and Twitter at, at words and sh, right? And you can subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you go. And definitely you can um, just follow us to know who our next following artists are going to be. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we do have a YouTube channel, Words and Shit. Or if you prefer to listen to it on the go, because I'm a big podcaster, I like to just like have my headphones on while I'm vacuuming or sweeping or whatever. We are available wherever you get your podcast, Words and Shit. So make sure you go and like, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you. Yeah, and then definitely come back for us for next week. Um, same time, same place. You know, if you saw us on YouTube, go for it. Facebook Live, perfect. Um, for our next feature, which is going to be Thursday, February 4th with Aris Hayan. So, yay! I'm so yay! excited. Yay! everybody! For those who know, you know. For those who don't, be here next week. Until then, stay safe, everybody. Yay. Bye.